Good evening, church. Good evening. If you're in the back, if you'd like to come and take your seat. Church, we're going to worship together, so if you'd like to stand to your feet. There's nothing to fear now, for I am 
God, you're worthy of all of our praise. God, we pray for Pastor Matt as he comes to bring the word open, our hearts to listen to what you have to say through him tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Thank you for being here tonight. Just before we get into the word, just a couple of announcements. Uh, please don't forget the missions prayer meeting on Tuesday evening. Uh, Michael was sharing this morning of the, the family that's coming to share with us on Tuesday night. Please come along on Tuesday, uh, and then at 7.30. Um, not this Monday, but next Monday is the Refresh Lunch Club. Uh, that we run once a month, the last Monday of every month now. Uh, th this is not just for the old people, uh, because sometimes there's people think it's just for the old people. This is for everybody. So some of you are in denial, right? So <laughs> we want you to come along uh, to, to, to this. Um, on the first one, it's 1 o'clock to 2.15. Uh, if you've nothing else to do on a Monday, then come along, you get a great lunch. And then George Cleland's going to be taking uh, the program. It only lasts for 75 minutes. It runs uh, a last Monday of every month and stuff. And, and, and then, so we want you to come along to, to that. A week on Saturday is the uh, Maids of Honour Conference, the Hope Conference, uh, which we're looking forward to. It says there's 75 women signed in. Um, we're looking for some help. I've been left to do the food, which I don't mind because I, I do what I'm told. Uh, uh, but we're looking for some people, some fellas to come and help us. Uh, we will provide all the food that you can eat. Where there's two shifts, there's half past eight to half past ten, and then there's uh, half past eleven to half past one. If you can help me, would you come and say to me uh, the help? We've got a couple of volunteers already uh, and stuff, so please, if you, if you can help. But also, next Sunday is the last time uh, we are buying. Uh, sorry, last Sunday, next Sunday is the next, last Sunday that we're selling tickets. Uh, for those of you here on Tuesday night for the Bible study, thank you very much. Uh, it was fantastic to see so many people out. There were more notes printed. They're on the info desk there. For some people, went home uh, without uh, the notes. I have to give credit to Ben, wherever Ben is, on Tuesday morning when we decided how many chairs should we put out. Uh, I said just put 50 out and stuff. But Ben, full of faith, says there'll be more people here. I think should, we should put 70 out. I said, Ben, be quiet. 70 won't come. They did. <laughs> so I'm confessing my sin in front of the church. But Ben is the man full of faith, so well done, Ben, there, okay? And so we'll do that. Finally, he says it's somebody's birthday today. Somebody's birthday every day, but this one's a special one uh, because there's somebody in our church who's 93. And listen, it, it's. Yes, it's not Sam Clark, and it's not. <laughs> And it's not Michael Totten, okay? So neither of those on. Sorry, I had to get out of You took too easy there. So, so it's Molly's birthday. Hey. <laughs> Happy birthday, Molly. It says, we'll, we can give you age now, because it's not only getting this age. It doesn't matter, does it? No. So happy birthday. It says, Molly's very special to all of us in this church and stuff. And, and uh, at the end of the service, Molly, we're giving you the bumps outside, OK? <laughs> so get yourself ready. And fellas, get yourself ready as well, OK? So we'll do that. OK, so brilliant. That's all the notices. Thank you for being here tonight. It says, we presented the vision to the church um, back a couple of weeks ago and the vision was the invitation and Jesus gives uh, Jesus gives four invitations in the book of Matthew um, 
and we looked at the invitation, we can see behind us here the, the invitation to come to him, those who are weary and heavy laden, and we shared that uh, last Sunday. Uh, we're looking tonight at the invitation to care for him, uh, that there's a challenge, an invitation that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew, that we should be uh, a caring people, that we're to care for people. Uh, next Sunday morning we're doing the invitation to go, uh, that, that actually Jesus has a plan is to reach the world and he wants to use us as the people that go and do it and so we're looking at to go and then on October the 23rd Stevie Francis is going to be doing the final one the final invitation which is to follow him and all of these are from the, the Gospel of Matthew and so but tonight we're really looking at this thought of the invitation that we have to care for him that, that Jesus gives us a challenge as a church to love people, to meet their needs, to help them. Uh, and so we're going to look at that time. But the first thing I want us to do, if you watch the screen, we're going to dim the lights and we're going to watch a video. Thank you, Noah. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we come before you tonight. Thank you. We're gathered in your house with your people. Father God, you give us a challenge, Father, uh, as we read your word, as we see even through this invitation series, Lord, that we're invitation to come to your son, to go for him, to follow him. But this one tonight, to, to care for him, to be his hands and his feet with people who are in need, Father God, is challenge of how we do that. And so, Father, we just ask, Father, you will open our hearts up, Lord. We will look at times and see that there is so much need. How can we make a difference? How can we do anything? But, Father, we know with your help that, that Father, that you grant us the grace and the mercy. Father, the provision to do, Father, what you've called us to do. So, Father, help us as we dig into your word this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, Matthew 22, uh, 
says a, a young fella comes to Jesus and uh, simply asks him a question. He says, what's the most important commandment? Uh, if you remember, if you were here last Sunday, I shared with you that the burden of the Pharisees and religious teachers was that they'd just created a burden of hundreds of laws and, and commandments on the people that just were really a weight to them. Uh, and this fellow asked Jesus his question. He said, which is the most important commandment? And he says, well, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, and after that bit, is not a problem. That obviously is a bit sometimes you find easy. Uh, I've often said that that's a vertical. That's the bit up. What's not to love about putting our hands in the air and worshipping God and receiving something from him in, in worship. But Jesus answers the question uh, with a second answer in a sense. He, he comes and he says, you're, the, the, he says, it's like the first one. It's connected. He says, you're to love your neighbour as yourself. Oh boy, that's the challenge. That's where the challenge comes. And not to love just vertically, but to love this way as well. Uh, because it means loving people. Uh, and, and people can be difficult. And people can be hard. And they present challenges. And people are in need. And we don't have to go too far from here uh, to see the need that there is. But Jesus makes it clear that actually the relationship you have this way is connected with the relationship that, that you have that way. That there are many people who suffer, there are many people who are in need, there are many people who have things in their life that some of them that are their fault and stuff and, and they've got themselves into circumstances and situations where they are at fault and they are to blame and, and we would know people that would come to our mind and we would think of those people and say, well, sure, they bought this upon themselves. They, they, they made the wrong decisions. We're all presented with choices and decisions and they made the wrong decisions. Uh, and in the eyes of God, we, we worship a God who is simply entangled and involved in the suffering of humanity, um, in our suffering, in the things that, that we go through, and we're thankful for that, that God is involved. And it would be easy for God to untangle every problem that there was, be easy for God, in a sense, just to simply, when there was a need, to meet that need. When somebody needed to be healed, they were just healed, they were touched and healed. But, but God doesn't always do that. And most often, more often than not, what he does, he invites us to be partners with him. Uh, that's a purpose of the church. That, that it's, we are his representatives, his ambassadors uh, here on earth. But we're partners with him to, to be the love to the world, his love. Uh, because that's the only way that we can do it. We can only do it with the strength and the grace and the power of God. So it means reaching out. Uh, to, to people uh, with difficult problems. It means reaching out to people who aren't like us. Uh, it means reaching out to people who don't look like us, who, who, who don't smell like us, uh, who don't act like us and stuff. And, and suddenly we're left with this uh, challenge of, of what we're to do. And, you know, and it's clear that Jesus uh, makes, it, uh, makes it clear to us uh, that we are the face of him. We are not just his representatives, his ambassadors. We are the face of him, and we are to make a difference. And that's a massive challenge. We've got to be honest with you. It's not as easy to do to, to work sometimes with some people who pose a challenge or a difficulty, who, who maybe don't take our advice or, or just simply get themselves into the same mess, or those people who, just because of the circumstances of life, they've been left uh, short or they've been left hungry or they've been left without clothes or they've been left and so there's a challenge that, that Jesus gives in Matthew 25 and this was the invitation in the vision to care for him and, uh, and Jesus says these words he says for I was hungry and he gave me something to eat I was thirsty and he gave me something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in I needed clothes and he clothed me I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, if you've ever read anything of Matthew 25, and as we look through the Gospel of Matthew over this next wee while, uh, the context is always really important and stuff. And so I'm going to share with you what the context of these verses written in. I mean, they're, they're fairly obvious what Jesus expects us to do uh, as his church. But Jesus is, is speaking on the Mount of Olives before he goes to the cross. 
And Matthew has a message that runs through his gospel that simply says Jesus is coming again. Uh, and we would believe that. We're absolutely assured of that by what we read and by what we believe. But in this passage, he is speaking about the end times and the return of Jesus, which will bring a judgment that will divide people, that will separate people. There will be people on the opposite of realities. And Jesus makes it clear through his preaching that there will be no middle ground. There will be no gray areas. There will be no people that can sit on the fence. It's clear that it's either one side or the other because when Jesus comes and ha again and with the authority to judge, there will be a separation and it will be between those who are saved and those who are not, those who are found and those who are lost, those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous, those going to heaven and those going to hell. And in this passage in Matthew 25, though not mentioned here, it distinguishes them as sheep and goats. And you say, well, that's a, a strange distinguishment. But there's a reason for that, because the readers would have understood what that means to be separated. They would have known the agricultural terms, in a sense, of what it meant to be sheep and what it meant to be a goat. And, and so they're using that as a separation. And in all of the things that Jesus speaks about, being direct and there is no middle ground there's no place to sit in the middle you can't be well I'm a little bit lost you're, you're either lost or you're not lost if you don't know where you're going you're lost you, you're either found you can't be well I think I'm found you, you can't sit in the middle and this is what Jesus is talking about in this this passage here uh, and so without going into too much of this because it's not really what I, I want to speak on tonight about this because tonight is about the invitation for caring for those who are hungry, are thirsty, stranger, the naked, the sick and those that are in prison. There is a truth that God cares for people. It says a phrase I've used many, many times from the, the, the front of the church is God is interested in every aspect of our lives. He is interested in you and me down to the finest detail, to the numbers of hairs on our head, to the very thoughts that we think that if they were displayed it would embarrass us and humiliate us and mortify us. But God knows all of those. And you know, so God cares for you and me. We, 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 we take that as a foundational truth. We're not just a, a group together, a number together, and where we think that some of us are important and the rest of us aren't. We are all individuals saying God cares about you and me, what you are going through, what you are struggling with. And, and God sees the lonely, he sees the homeless, the abused, the addict, the abandoned, the hurting, and the hopeless. And not only does he see them, but they matter to him. Yeah. They matter to him. It matters to him, the child who goes to bed hungry at night. It matters to him, uh, those people who are addicted to things and can't break that addiction. That matters to God. We have an idea sometimes in Christian circles that if we just get ourselves a bit better, God will accept us. That's not the heart of the gospel. That's not what it's about. It says Jesus didn't come to save us because we could try and get a little bit better and then he'll save us. He says we can't do that. And so here he sees all that there is. He sees all the issues, all the problems, all the things. And the truth of it is this, that God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love and care for each other. And that's a challenge. Because I would wish that he would measure my life by how I worship. Because that's the bit that would be okay for me. I have the Spotify on in the car. And I have a list of my favourite Christian songs. And when I drive anywhere, I said I'm listening and worshipping not closing my eyes but worshipping because that bit is actually what, what's that difficult about that the challenge is taking that bit and turning it into this bit where you've got to love people and care for people and Jesus, and God measures our lives by how we love and care each other for each other now I must clear up a couple of things here this is not about the social gospel this is because this is a phrase that has crept in recently 
that churches have turned around in a sense and turned around and said, listen, nobody wants to really hear, in a sense, the, the verbal gospel at the moment. So l let's love them and that will show them th th what Jesus was like. No, no, no. He said, we're not, we're not supposed to do that. It's not about the social gospel. We're, that's not the preference over the, the spiritual gospel, in a sense, which is we're supposed to preach the gospel at, at all times. Uh, you know, and so what we have to do is understand that firstly our primary existence and reason uh, for the church is to do that, is to be a witness, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You know, somebody once said the phrase and it was, um, it was attributed to somebody I don't think actually said it, but you know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a statement I don't like. It says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Well, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to have the gospel in action as well, but, but it's secondary. But because this is fundamental, really, and this is, if you remember nothing else from tonight, remember this, a Christian is one who declares the gospel verbally, and probably I should add there, firstly, and then visibly that actually we're supposed to do both. It's not one instead of the other, and it's not one or the other. Actually, we're supposed to do both. And so we declare it verbally uh, first, but then visibly as well, because we are his representatives here. And so, you see, the greatest help and assistance we can give people, and I bring it down to the level we are as a church, as we talk about churches, is, is just to give you an idea what church is like here all day, every day, all day. I don't know how many phone calls we get from people in need. All day, every day of the week, even when we're not here. And, and we love that. I tell you now, we're a church that helps people out. You know, if you need food, we have a food bank. If you have furniture, we give you furniture. If you have baby, we've got baby bank. We will always try and help people out. But it's not our primary existence for being here. If we took all that away, our primary existence for being here would still be to tell people about Jesus. Now, the reason we do all of that stuff is because we read verses like today, which says, hey, we're supposed to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and meet the stranger and visit the people in prison and do all of that because that's important. But primarily, it has to be this. We've got to tell them about Jesus. You see, the expression of love and compassion here is taken as an important part of your belonging to Christ. Jesus never makes it easy for his followers. It could have been even when the young man was there because he knew when the young man asked him a question, I do all of that. You know, I do that. I love the Lord. All of that. But Jesus throws out the next challenge where you've got to love everybody else. You've got to love and it's not You can't just love the people you like. I mean, even that bit's easy. You're talking about loving the unlovable. Everybody that gets on your nerves, those difficult people, they're coming into your head now, aren't they? You know them. You know, I hope I'm not coming into any of your heads, but they're coming in now, flying in, and you're like, maybe it's two or three. If it's more than three, I'll see you for prayer in the office after all right? Because, but that, that, that's a challenge. But Jesus ties it in and says, your worship, your belonging, your association with me is tied with your love for others. We can't see it like maybe we see other things and say, well, it's not really me. It's not really my part to play and stuff. We're supposed to make a difference in, in the world. And, and when Jesus uses this, when he speaks this passage here, he's saying to the people, listen, there's an outward evidence of the inward working of him in their lives. There has to be. That, that's how we know that somebody belongs to Christ. He says, by the words that they say, but the things that they do, and their lives demonstrate the kindness and how we help we show towards others. Now, we must understand a couple of things as well as we come this way. Uh, this, the first is this. This is not saying we are, we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. It says there is a purpose that we are given as salvation. 
He says it would be great if it was just that ticket to heaven that we've spoken about and said actually there's not a responsibility for us. We have a responsibility and a mission. And so we're not saved by good works. We're, we're, we're saved for good works. So we've therefore got to do those things that we are called to do. And the second thing that we see here is this, and I think this is important, good works do not produce good character. Good character produces good works uh, and this passage here in a sense is saying that because he's challenging the readers and simply saying to them it says listen when you see these people what do you do now there is so much need today how do we meet everybody's need how, how do we break that down? I mean, even if you walked, I walked through Belfast the other, the, the other night, and, and, you know, you just saw the need of people, and you saw people where they were sleeping. I mean, even last night as I was watching the giants came down under the underbridge of the M3 there and stuff, and somebody had pitched a tent, you know, and, and, you know, and I just thought to myself, I thought, I wonder what their story is. I wonder, I wonder how they ended up there. Not so I could pass judgment, but just so I could say, well, how did you, how did you end up in that situation? Well, what can we do? And sometimes what we look at is we see these people and circumstances and situations, and we think they're just too big to do anything. It's just too massive for me to get involved and do something. It costs me my time, maybe, or my money to get involved. And, you know, if I give them money, when they go and spend it on something that, that will not help them or make their lives worse. And there's all these questions often go through, you know, our mind and stuff as believers and stuff and we look at it and we often do this we say it's too big to do anything so we maybe put it to the side and we end up not doing anything we end up just leaving because we think well it's too big to what I do won't make a difference uh, but actually Jesus does make it clear in everything that we do that what we do do for him does make a difference that actually the help that we give or the help that you give, or the situation that you meet the need of somebody in, actually does make a difference. It actually does change somebody's life. Because as I've said before many times, that we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. And we have this tremendous challenge and responsibility as a church, in a sense, uh, that we look at it and say, actually, we're here for good works. We are here to make a difference. Not just verbally, but visibly as well. So people know where to come if they need help. Because we don't know if providing that help may lead there, be one of the steps on the journey that is being used to see somebody get saved. So that's really why we do it. It's why we're, because we want to witness to people and reach people. Read this story before I, do, I go on. Sorry, I'll just read this out. Our good works follow our faith, which I've already said. But read this story, which is just sort of illustrates what I'm trying to say. The early Christians, during the time of the persecution of the Roman Empire, it's told that the Christians in Rome would go along the Tiber River in Rome and they would pick up the babies that were left there at the, the, the side of the river, still alive and that just unwanted abandoned by the side of the river and it was it was the the church there in rome that went down to pick these babies up and took care of them and julian who was the evil pagan emperor it says here uh, he wanted to go back to paganism after christianity had taken root in the roman empire he commented this and he said, and he called the Christians the Galileans because obviously that connected them to Jesus. He says, not only do they care for their own poor and needy, but they look after our poor and needy as well. And this had a profound effect on him that for them in the Roman Empire, these unwanted, abandoned babies that were left by the river to, to die or for the wild animals and stuff, it was the Christians that were going down to, to collect them, to not only just to bring them up, they, they were going down to, to rescue them, to, to save them, to bring them up uh, as one of theirs and stuff. And that was the impact that this had on the Roman Empire. And it made me realise that actually that the, we're not too small to make a difference. Because if the emperor of the Roman Empire is noticing this, 
I wonder if the things that we do when we're given the invitation to care for people makes a difference as people look at what we do. You see, this is just something that flows right through the Old Testament, both the words and practice of caring for the poor, because the poor was always mattered to God. He set in place with the law in the Old Testament about the parts of the field and the harvest you were supposed to leave so the poor could go and collect all that up because the poor mattered to him, because those people that were in need mattered to him. And we're given that invitation uh, to care. I mean, Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, Whoever shuts their eyes to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Isaiah 58 verse 9 and 10 says this, it says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger of malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your nights will become like the noonday. Uh, it's just clear there, both from the Old Testament as well, the response that we have towards those that are poor and those that are needy and it's evident in Jesus's teaching in the gospels and we're focusing primarily on Matthew uh, you know that when the people were hungry he fed the 5,000 he fed the 4,000 the, the the poor and the needy mattered to him whether there was a physical need like hunger or they were sick or they were ill, Jesus' whole attitude was to make a difference, and that's what he wanted to encourage his church to do, to go and to make a difference. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and you know, he illustrates it so powerfully by saying, oh, you know, all the, the religious people, all the, the pastors and the priests and all of that, they walked on by because they're not getting involved with something so filthy and dirty. He's probably bought it on himself. And he says a Samaritan comes along and he's the one that, that, that rescues him. He's the one that takes him to the inn. He's the one that pays for his stay there. And Jesus often uses just that extreme language almost to point out to people, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to meet the need. As he washes his disciples' feet in John 13, he simply says this about everything he does in verse 15. I've set you, a, I've set you a, an example that you should do as I have done for you. And you know, his example of how he cares and how he loves and that. And even in this passage here, and, and with this I finish, he uses this phrase, uh, says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I mean, that's a powerful phrase that he, he says. That he said, it's not just about the hungry and the thirsty and those in need that we come across. Uh, there's something about Jesus being mysteriously present uh, to us and those who need our help. And so we see him in the face of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the, the sick. You know, and if our lives overflow with something, it has to be mercy and love and compassion for others to try and make a difference. And, and this is a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us to try and meet the needs of people because we're here as a church and we don't just want to be a church that says, you know, let's come on Sundays and, and let's do the religious thing and let's do the thing that we know we're supposed to do and stuff, but actually to get out and to do the stuff that sometimes is a little bit messy with people, you know, that, that nobody else bothers with, but we as a church are bothering with them and helping them. And, you know, and it's easy for us sometimes to turn around and say, well, it's too big or they've bought it on themselves so I'm not getting involved. They deserve everything they get. But when that happens, and I've been there, I've shared the story before a couple of times, uh, when we first started doing the, the social concern stuff, the recent Ben now did now, and we provided some stuff for a local family. And I went into the house, and their living room was amazing. It was like the big screen TV on the wall. I thought, I could live here. It was amazing. You know, and I thought to myself, the place was, but when you went into the kitchen, there was no cooker, there was no fridge, there was no table, there was no... And the priorities were wrong. And I remember coming out of there, and I was really had the judgmental spirit. I really did. I, we shouldn't have done anything for them. We, we, you know, how dare they sell the telly, buy the beans, that sort of attitude that, that was there. And I remember being convicted just simply by God saying to me, your job is not to judge, it is to love. And I convicted, and that's, that's hard.
that's hard because not my nature mine's not my nature at all it was like my nature was very much to point the finger and say feed your kids you know provide food for them look at all the stuff that you've got here and there's no purpose saying oh pastor you're like that you would have been like that as well because we would look at it and say look their priorities are all wrong and yet Christ calls us gives us the invitation not to judge people but to love people and I'm so thankful I'm part of this church and the stuff that we do that simply even this week we will go out to families not just in this community but other communities as well to deliver the furniture to help with the baby stuff and that and you know what we don't ask any questions in a sense of you know how did you get in this mess and what did you do is simply how can we help we're from the church it says this is the church we're from and we know that God loves you and he sees what you're going through and you matter to him and I think that's why we're given as a church and individuals the invitation to care for him let's pray father we thank you tonight father we know it's a challenge lord when we when, when we read your word and we're given those verses Father, and it's easy for me to be judgmental and to look at people and say, ah, oh, well, how did they get in that mess? They don't deserve any help. God, help me and help us to have the attitude of your son. Help us, Father God, to take up that invitation to care for people, to love people. The Father, you're measuring our worship of you by how we love, by how we care, by how we share, by what we do, by what we give. And we just thank you for that tonight, Father God. Father, let this be, a, uh, let this be an imprint on our heart, Father God, as we move forward. We're so thankful for all the church does, Lord. So thankful, Father God, even at this time where there are needs that we are presented and people have met that need, Father God, to help families out in our church. And Father, we just thank you for that tonight. Father, keep us on your road doing what you've called us to do, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, it's time to sing our final song. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope and no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Oh, ash was redeemed, only beauty remained In my orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet My feet rose to death When death was arrested And my life began And all your grace So She's over me. You have made a new now life begins with you. Release from my chains, I'm a Washes over 
thank you, God, that we are set free, Lord God, not by the good things that we do, but by you, so that we may grow to become more like you each and every day, Lord. Lord, would you shape us and you mold us and help us to be more like Christ as we develop our character, Lord God, as we are a witness to you, Lord God, in the things that we do and say, God, we thank you for our freedom that is bought by Jesus Christ. Amen.